how will this, this is Will and Samuel, uh, for mind or matter? Main ideas. We got some main ideas to start us off. So not really a preface in a way, but just these are the things we're talking about. These are the big questions it's addressing. Who are we and what are we made of? So it's just questions directing towards us and our nature, um, which is really cool to think about. And it's important so we know how to view ourselves. Uh, another question is, what is the foundation of reality? So not only is this question directed towards us, but it's directed towards everything. So mind or matter. Mind is going to answer each of these questions differently. Matter is going to answer each of these questions up here differently. Um, and then also another big question is, do we survive the death of the body? So these are all the worldview questions. So that's how big this topic is. It'll affect the answers to all of these. So it's a pretty incredible topic. Some parts of it are going to get really deep. Uh, some of it is pretty common sense but we'll, we'll get through it all. But first, let's pray. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this time to talk about the world you have created and just learn about it and figure out how it works. Um, so we just ask that you'll ask to take joy in that and learn something from this and let it uh, help us grow in our relation to you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we have uh, two quotes. One is from Justin Martyr, and he was a martyr, um, hence his name. All right, he says, you can kill us, but cannot do us any real harm. Um, so this is really just getting at, okay, uh, what us Christians, if we believe in the supernatural, this should be our focus, and things of the material world should be secondary, not primary. Yeah. And then the... Biblical text that kind of goes along with this is Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And that's what Justin's talking about. Even if they do, like they could torture me, they could kill me, whatever, but I'm a Christian. I believe that I have an immortal soul. I'm going to be a Jesus when I die. So mm -hmm. can they really do me any harm? And like that spirit is what kind of inspired a lot of the early mar martyrs, which is really, really cool. Mm. <clears throat> Um, psychology, so we actually added this slide as a topic just because of what psychology is and does. So a lot of people think it's just like, oh, how people behave or something like that. Or the study, a lot of people think it's the study of, of the brain, but it's really studying human beings, their mind and how they work. So that's, that's why we added it. So the definition we put is study of the human mind and the behaviors it produces, right? Um, so this is one of the big questions we're answering, and so we just wanted a, a definition. And so far, there are three main views that people have when it comes to psychology or the view of the human being. So one of them is obviously material, which is just physical things. We just have a brain, and everything is chemical reactions in the brain, neurons firing. That is it, and everything has to be explained with that. Another one is a little weird. It's spiritualism. So this would be like a pantheistic view or something along those lines, which would be, hey, nature is God. We all take part in the eternal essence. We are all part of God somehow. Um, and we'll go in, into more detail about that, but that's, that's another view of how we can view ourselves. So some people think that we're, since we're a part of nature, we're, we're a part of God and um, the eternal being. And then the last one is supernaturalism, the Christian view, which is saying, hey, we do have all these material things, so it would accept um, 
all the data and evidence of materialism, but then it would also posit even more evidence for the supernatural, so things beyond nature. So one thing to remember is supernaturalists don't reject nature. They believe it, but also believe in something more. Um, so they, they have a little bit more to, to prove, but there's, it, it explains more as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, the first kind of big one of those views that we're going to cover is materialism. And I would say this is the predominant worldview today, like definitely in America uh, in secular Western society. Materialism is kind of the predominant worldview. If I can't see it, it's, it's, it's not real. It doesn't exist. Um, so you got to prove it to me by showing me it under a microscope. That's materialism uh, in a really condensed nutshell. But kind of the biggest argument for this, I would say, is just the testimony of science, the explanatory power that science has proven to have over the course of the last, since the scientific revolution, the last few hundred years. Basically, science will explain it eventually. So when we talk about these big questions about who are human beings, what's the nature of the mind, do we have a soul, um, are we immaterial, what's consciousness, do we have free will, all these different questions that touch on the immaterial aspects of us in our, in our contention. Um, basically, we'll just say, well, science has explained so much already, it will probably end up explaining those things too, given enough time. We just got to wait, and eventually science will explain consciousness. Science will end up explaining all these other aspects that are kind of difficult for materialists to explain. Uh, eventually it'll do it because it's got a good track record. And that's true to a large extent. Science has explained a lot of stuff. Um, sort of the, the basic worldview of, well, the ancient people used to think lightning was the gods cursing them, but now we know that lightning is you know, clouds rubbing together and stuff. So science eventually will just explain all these different things, given enough time. And we'll just basically apply that to the mind. Eventually, we'll get some sort of explanation from a, a lab experiment or something like that. Um, lots of people believe, like, uh, from different areas of like neuroscience or evolution, uh, behavioral psychology, these different fields of science, eventually, it'll explain all the different aspects of our mental processes. Um, so there, are, for example, one field that is kind of a hot contested area right now is the study of like free will and whether science has disproven that human beings have free freedom of the will. Um, many people like Sam Harris is a pretty popular scientific minded person, atheist type, that thinks that there are actual scientific experiments that have disproven the idea of free will. Um, they'll look at you know brain scans and see um, like the correlation between imaging in our brain and our brain firing on different cylinders corresponding with our choices. And they'll, and they'll see things like the brain lights up and does stuff before we make our choices. And so that kind of shows that we are determined by just our environment and the processes in our brain to determine our choices. And so that seems to be pretty powerful for a lot of people. A lot of people think that science has kind of disproven those immaterial aspects of us. And so um, I would say, the, like Samuel was saying, the immaterialist or the, or the dualist, believe that we're body and soul, uh, the response to that is not that we don't believe in the material aspects of us. We do. Um, and we believe that the soul uses the, the, the brain, and the brain's not irrelevant to these uh, mental processes. We like to think of it like the interaction between soul and body is like the interaction between a musician and a piano. Okay? So they're distinct. They're survivable without each other, but incomplete. And so damage to one hinders the performance of the other. So a, a damaged brain will necessarily damage you know, your thoughts and the immaterial aspects that we think are actually truly immaterial. 
So the soul uses the brain to think like a musician uses a piano to make music. It's a good way to think about the interaction between soul and body. That's typically a, a huge problem for the, for the Christian point of view is how do you get a, an interaction between the soul and the body? We think it's like a, a musician using a piano. And so ultimately, though, I think most people just hold to this sort of default materialist worldview because they think theism is just kind of silly. I think that's had a huge sway in our culture that a long time ago, it was just kind of taken for granted that there was an immaterial aspect of us. All the smartest philosophers, all the smartest theologians believed that, like you know, Plato, Aristotle, all the serious thinkers believed that we had an immaterial aspect to us. But over the course of long periods of history and different cultural shifts that have taken place, different ideas um, have come to predominance. Now we, it's basically silly to believe in God. That's, that's, I think in culture, that's just kind of how it's viewed. And so in academia, out of fear of being laughed at, it's, it's a lot more respectable to say, well, science will explain all those things eventually, but I would never say that God, that God will do it. Um, I just think that that's pretty predominant today. Um, I think the new atheist movement has done a lot of that. So basically, I think a lot of people think that um, trying to explain anything about us in terms of immaterial things is, is a God of the gaps argument. You're just filling God in as an explanation when eventually science will probably take, that, take care of that. And theism is just kind of silly. And I would say that's kind of the predominant worldview today. Yeah. Uh, two more things on that, actually. So when, when Will was talking about the mind and the brain, how they interact with each other, that's actually one of the biggest questions or what we could say mysteries of philosophy today um, is we argue for that both exist, but how exactly they interact, it's very difficult to tell for us. And that's what people have been thinking about for a very long time. Um, but then the other thing up there we have is for behavioral psychology, the example is Pavlov's dog. Um, but if you read about psychology today, you would get a lot of um, materialists. You would get like a B.F. Skinner or even Freud or something like that. And they would use experiments like this to say, hey, this actually explains everything. So if you don't know Pavlov's dog, that's basically, hey, um, this dog was trained just based on what things happened around him. So a bell would ring, he would, he would get food, and then eventually they could ring the bell and make the dog salivate and um, use saliva. So it's just things like that where it's gone to such a point and they've done so many experiments and explained so many behaviors and things that uh, people do that they think they can explain then everything, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's just simple experiments like that. And this also presupposes that we are just animals like a dog, right? Um, but yeah, so let's move on to spiritualism. So this would be God as creation. So in this, we would have no creature and creator distinction. So a lot of these people think there is a God, but we would be a part of God, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there, that's one problem with it. There's no creature creator distinction, really. It's... Um, it kind of just blends everything together. And that's actually one of the objections in the first one. Opposites are unified. So if everything is God and everything that's happening is part of God um, or the eternal essence, then opposites are unified. So good and evil, they eventually are just an illusion and they blend together and they're one in the same. And they're just, um, you can just look at the same thing in different ways. And so... That's, that's one thing, and you would see something like this in Eastern religions. So like um, Buddhism posits a lot of these claims that I'm talking about. Um, now, another thing is origins. If God is creation, 
and we are all a part of the eternal essence, then what, what about the origins of the world? We have evidence that everything started. If God is creation and part of creation, who created that creation, right? Um, so there's a problem with that. Uh, how can an infinite, unlimited being like the eternal essence or God also be the finite and limited creation? How can it be both, right? It's a... Uh, it seems like a contradiction right there. So those, those are a couple objections we would bring forth to spiritualism or pantheism or anything along those lines. Yeah. Um, we're kind of putting them in the same camp right there. And another kind of common, world, just to show you how a modern philosophy works, there's a lot of people today that actually take a view called panpsychism, which is the idea that everything has consciousness. So even the material, like a chair around you, every, every single thing around us has consciousness. Because consciousness is such a hard thing to explain, they just posit that consciousness is an inherent part of material things. And however that works out, even though it seems very ludicrous to think of the chair next to me having consciousness, it's easier to explain from a materialist point of view to just say, yeah, everything has consciousness. Mm. So things get pretty silly, actually, when you start to explain consciousness, because it's difficult. <clears throat> All right, now we're positing the supernaturalist view. Um, so we have four points we're going to go through, uh, and it's a lot of stuff, but we'll start with mental events. So this is one reason we believe in supernaturalism. And again, this isn't saying that we reject um, all the scientific experience, uh, exper experiments that have been done. We accept all that data, but again, we're posing even more, right? So mental events. They cannot be measured or weighed, so that is that is one evidence for supernaturalism. Like we have an idea, obviously neurons are firing and our, our mind is using our brain, but let's say we picture something in, in our head. We can't measure that in inches or anything. We can't grab it, we can't weigh it or anything like that. So we obviously have an image in our head, how does that work? Um, and uh, we could ask, like, can neurons firing and chemical reactions produce a mental image? Um, but again, yeah, we, we don't have any physical thing we can hold on to that actually shows that image is a physical thing, right? Um, so that's a, that's a problem for materialists. And another thing is that physical objects are morally neutral. So what I mean by that is uh, we would never give morale, like a moral status to any physical object out in the world. So a tree, we would not say that's moral. A chair, a rock, we would not say that's moral. We would not say a car or a piece of food is moral, mm -hmm. right? Um, so why would we then make the exception if a brain was all there was? So that's, that's with materialism, if a brain is all there was, we would say they would have to reject morality because we don't give moral status to just a physical thing, right? Um, and so they would just want to make this one exception. Oh, no, but humans' brains, they are complex enough to have moral status, but no other physical objects can have moral status. Um, so that's another kind of objection. And then the third thing is there are some things that we do that can't be explained by the brain or just um, their theory of psychology and, oh, this thing happened and it caused me to do this other thing, right? Uh, and it's not just us reacting to our environment. So one thing is intentionality. How can we explain that with just a brain and, and chemical reactions? Like, I can intend to do a lot of different things and maybe not even get all of them done, right? And I can intend to do things 10 years from now. 
right? And this intention, it's really, really hard to explain with the scientific process and a scientific experiment, uh, intentionality in human behavior, mm -hmm. okay? So if, if you were talking to an, an atheist or a, a scientist on intentionality and you, you brought that up as, a, as an objection, just ask them, hey, what scientific experiments or studies do you have that show that we intend to do things just in general and 10 years from now and 10 seconds from now? Because um, there's nothing directly causing us to do that thing or know that thing. We're just like going to say, hey, I'm eventually going to do that. But if everything is determined, how can we know that there's going to be a cause 10 years from now that will allow us to do that thing, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a big thing. Next one is moral judgments, us judging things morally. Again, this ties back to physical objects don't have moral status. Um, but also, a materialist view cannot, um, cannot explain why human beings decide right and wrong and discern between those things, mm -hmm. right? Again, there isn't a scientific experiment that shows, oh, this is right, this is wrong, and this is a human being, um, and th like this is basically how human beings work with moral judgments. No, that's, um, that's not something a scientific experiment can show, be because also that presupposes a moral law, but a lot of materialists, again, they think of relativism or cultural relativism or something like that. They, they would essentially reject absolute morality. So, those moral judgments are a problem. Another one is aesthetic judgments. So just people saying, hey, that's beautiful, or um, someone else looking at another thing and saying, hey, that is beautiful right there. We don't have um, really any scientific experiments that provide an explanation, especially for the origin of like aesthetic judgments. So like when, when the first human made the first aesthetic judgment, like how, how did that happen? What would explain it? And if evolution is true, where, where did it evolve, right? Mm -hmm. Where did aesthetics evolve? Um, so that's, a, but there's a bunch of other problems that materialism alone cannot explain when it comes to the human mind. So judgments and intentionality, stuff like that. Right. And then the next big point is intellect and will. So the two things that we think constitute a soul and we think are kind of commonsensical, self-evident parts of human beings is that we have an intellect and we have a will. So our thinking and our choosing, basically. So when I talk about a will here, a free will, supporting the existence of God. I'm not trying to get into a theological debate at all, not Calvinism and Arminianism at all. Just the basic idea that humans have the ability to make choices. Uh, I could take two breakfast cereals in front of me and I could choose which one I want. That, that is what I'm talking about. Not ability to choose God without his grace, but just ability to choose things in general. That I'm, that I'm the source of my choice. Um, now, there are some theists that actually don't believe we have that either, but that's not what I'm talking about. So. The basic idea that we, most of us have, that free will, that we have free will, that I have the ability to make choices, that I'm the agent and source of my choices, we think that supports the idea, or supports a theistic worldview. Um, I think most people walking around today believe that. That's just kind of a commonsensical view of human nature. And so it's, you can kind of point to that in someone's worldview and say, hey, it doesn't seem like you're determined, right? You can make, just, you can make choices about what you want to do in your life. Um, and those aren't determined by prior factors. And if you do believe that, then you run into all sorts of problems about like the justice system. Why do we punish people for things that they couldn't have chosen other than they do? Um, so there's a, whole lot of, there's a whole host of problems with just straight up determinism. And so we would say that the commonsensical view of free will, that we're able to make choices, supports a theistic worldview. We think that's an immaterial aspect, a unique aspect of human beings that we do have. Um, next thing. So 
free will. We're not simply acted upon by our environment. That's the main thing. All the physical things around us, they're simply acted upon by their environment. They don't make any choices. Human beings do. Um, that's a unique part about us. The next is our intellect. And this is maybe the most heady point of the whole thing, but bear with me, it'll be good. So we've talked a lot about the idea of uh, particulars and universals. We've talked about that a lot over the last year or so. Um, but this idea of, take the example of a tree. I can look out, you guys can't see it, but out of these windows I can see a bunch of trees. So this is the example I'm using. Um, I can see that particular tree and that particular tree and that particular tree. And somehow I can unite them in my brain as all being trees. I don't have to experience every single tree on planet Earth to know what a tree is. I can abstract from this one particular tree and know the essence of what a tree is. So that is sort of a really classical way of thinking about um, what we call abstracts or universals, particulars and universals. Uh, the universal thing, essence of what a tree is, is what all particular trees participate in. And so our ability to grasp what that is is not something that other animals have. We think that's a unique part about human beings. Our, our, uh, our ability to, to grasp abstract concepts, the ancient Christian thinkers believed that that was evidence that our, brain, our, our mental processes are not purely material. There's some immaterial aspect of us. If we're able to grasp the immaterial forms of things or the essences of things, then there's an immaterial part of our brain. That's the idea. So that's not a great argument to give to somebody that has no idea what any of those terms mean, but I actually think it's, it's quite convincing, and we, we think that those are, are good arguments for mm -hmm. the immaterial aspects of our brain. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and also the reason why a materialist would say that we, we can't know that there are, there's a universal thing such as a tree because, again, we, we react to what's in front of us. And so they would say to actually know every tree is an actual tree, we would have to experience it. They, they would not hold that we would have this abstract concept up here that we could apply to all trees around the world um, because, again, we would actually have to experience it to know that it was there because their main thing is empirical evidence or experiencing something with our senses and observation. So um, that would be a problem. But we're going to move on to the next point, which is unity of identity, which is probably my favorite point in this whole talk on or maybe second favorite point. My, my next point is going to be my favorite point. But unity of identity. It's really, really cool. So it's basically saying we are the same person no matter what stage of life. So when I was a baby, a toddler, um, an infant, and a child, preteen, teen, all the way up until now, I am somehow the same, but every part of me has changed. Every cell has probably died, and a new cell has been made, and so on. So I am physically nothing like... I was 25 years ago, right? But somehow I'm still Samuel. I'm still the same person. So identity is not found or tied to our physical bodies. It's it's that idea. And so there's this um there's there's kind of like an a, a thought experiment in philosophy. A really famous one is called the boat of Theseus or the ship of Theseus. And when if you hold to the supernatural, you can't you can explain that but if you don't hold to the supernatural there's this paradox that comes along okay so this is the thought experiment so let's say theseus right a greek figure greek hero he has a ship he he gets the ship starts sailing it and slowly pieces start falling off and you can follow on the picture and as pieces fall off fall off or need to be replaced they 
put a new one on the ship, take that piece and kind of just put it in a pile somewhere. And they just keep going until every single piece of the original ship has been replaced. And then with this pile of all these old parts from, from the ship, they construct a new ship. And so the question would be is what is the original ship? And for the person who believes in the supernatural, we could say, okay, um, there's more than just the physical, so obviously the ship that Theseus is still sailing is the original ship. And that one over there, it's something completely different, right? Even though it might use the same physical pieces, it's a different ship. It's not his ship. But for the materialist, you run into a problem because, well, if the physical is all there is and there's this <laughs> ship that's made of every single original part, you would have to, one, say, okay, that's the original ship. But also, you'd have this problem because Theseus is still sailing his ship and hasn't changed ships, right? So there's that paradox that comes along with that materialist view. Which, which one is that original ship? Um, so hopefully you followed that. And so we would just apply that to, to us, right? Um, so again, even though our ship parts are being replaced, we're still the same being. Yep. We aren't a new ship. Right. And the basic point is like, our identity isn't determined by our physical makeup. That's too reductionistic. That, that doesn't explain everything because we could be completely replaced and yet still be the same person. So there's a problem there. Yeah. Um, I think for a, for a purely materialist point of view. Next point. Um, we just think that supernaturalism or believing in an immaterial aspect to human beings has much greater explanatory power. So think of like our thoughts and emotions or even the meaning that's inherent in language. So an English speaker can say, snow is white. And a German speaker can say, I don't know how to say it, but it's like snow es weist or something like that. I don't know how to say it. But they're saying the same thing. The meaning inherent behind the language is exactly the same. And they know that they're saying the same thing. The meaning behind it. So matter doesn't give meaning. Matter itself cannot give the meaning that we all live our, run our lives by. So the meaning expressed, particularly in a human thought, in a given, in like a language, very difficult to explain. Um, think about our emotions. You have to think about all of our, I'll get into this a little bit more later, but all of our emotions and all of our thoughts have to be boiled down to simply a neuron firing in your brain. There's nothing more to it than that. Um, and I would say that, well, not viewing it like that, viewing it as, no, there's an immaterial aspect that you have a soul that's better uh, suited to address our actual problems psychologically is what we would contend. Yeah, and um, for this, I'm going to bring up uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. So when they were talking and C.S. Lewis was in the middle of his conversion, uh, Tolkien actually brought up this idea of, of a prison, and a lot of people say, like, oh, the supernaturalist or the person who believes in God is trapped in a prison by their beliefs. But then Tolkien was like, I say that the materialist is the one that is trapped by his beliefs. Um, because he won't venture outside anything that is nature, and the supernaturalist will. So who's the one really trapped right there? Mm -hmm. And he, he brought that up to C.S. Lewis, which helped him in his conversion. But um, talking about C.S. Lewis, we have a quote for him, for, for actually what converted him, really. And this is what changed his mind, that materialism was false. This quote right here. Um, it's the evolutionary argument against naturalism. We've brought up Alvin Planting before in the past, and he he's very well known for this, but C.S. Lewis was before him, and he um, 
he did a lot of work on this. But here's, here's the quote. It says, suppose that there is no intelligence behind the universe. In that case, nobody designed our brain for the purpose of thinking. Thought is merely the random byproduct of atoms within our skull. But if so, how can I trust my own thinking to be true, right? Um, so his is kind of like, if our brains weren't designed for thinking, how do we know that we can actually think or find the truth? Uh, Alvin Plantinga's version would be a little bit more like, hey, if our brains are meant for survival, then everything we learn is essentially to survive and not to find the truth. Um, and those, those are things that, that C.S. Lewis and Alvin Plantinga were like, wait, I can't be a materialist, right? I'm trying to find this truth and reality, but I can't even trust myself. Right. Um, and the big point there is like, it undermines our entire uh, pursuit of scientific knowledge. It, it undermines all of our pursuits as human beings are all actually geared towards truth. Why do, why do scientists do science? It undermines the whole scientific process if we believe that our whole rational th faculties and our thinking processes aren't geared towards truth. They're just aimed at survival value or something like that. Um, so theism makes a lot more sense of why we even do what we do, why we pursue science, why we pursue truth and philosophy and all these different things. Mm -hmm. It makes better sense of it. Yeah. All right. Okay, so one of our favorite philosophers here seems Dr. Josh Rasmussen. He's a, a teacher and professor and a really, really smart philosopher guy. And he has done a lot of work in the philosophy of mind and particularly consciousness. And so this is sort of an argument from consciousness for God, basically, or a theistic worldview. There's two kind of big umbrella terms or aspects of consciousness that are really difficult to explain. And we're kind of going to center on those two things. So one is the nature of consciousness. What, what it is, the aspects of it, and then the origin of consciousness. And we think both of these two things are really difficult to explain without a creator, without a, a mind-like foundation to reality. We think God is something like a mind. He isn't exactly like a mind, but he's something like a mind. He has um, something analogous to a mind, is what I would say. Uh, we don't know exactly what he is, but something like that. Something like a soul. Um, so. The nature of consciousness, we touched on some of this already, but intentionality. So the aboutness to our thoughts. This is kind of, it's so, it's so, it's like simple and difficult at the same time to even think about. Uh, but when I think about like France, the Eiffel Tower, something like that, I can picture something in my head and I can have, there's an aboutness to my thoughts. My thought is about France. Um, there's an intentionality to it. That, like Samuel talked about, very difficult to explain and purely, um, okay, that thought is tied to that synapse firing in your brain. Like that's the materialist point of view is that that thought is simply just some brain process that I can nail down. And that's very reductionistic. Um, next would be uh, what philosophers call qualia. It's just a really jargony term that just means basically our first person subjective experience of things. So a good way to think about this is like your experience of pain. So like when I stub my toe, the experience that I have of I stub my toe, I'm suffering right now. That experience has to also be boiled down to simply a synapse firing in your brain, which seems not right. It just, it's not intuitive. Um, we think that there's something more there going on. I, as an actual person, am suffering when I stub my toe. It sucks really bad. So trying to describe the experience of pain in purely physical terms is kind of a fruitless endeavor. It's very difficult. Uh, next, identity, what Samuel already hit on. So the idea, how can I still be me if all the physical parts about me have already changed over time? 
what makes me, me, actually. Uh, so these three things, among other things, point to there being not a one-to-one -one correlation between our brain, like the actual physical brain that I could weigh, and our mind. There seems to be a difference there. They're not the same thing. Um, and that gives evidence to theism rather than naturalism. And then the origin of consciousness, we would say, think of if I had like Legos in front of me, or like any physical object, but Legos is a good thing because you can build them together and they're small. I should have brought Legos for this, but think if I had one Lego and I just said, does this have consciousness? Most of us would intuit, no, it doesn't have consciousness. Um, could I make it have consciousness somehow? No. We would all kind of think, I don't think so. I don't know how that could work, but probably not. What if I put a bunch of Legos together? Would that help? If I made them different colored Legos, would that help? If I changed all the physical parts about the Legos, would that help? It's still the same problem. The basic point is that there's, there's a construction problem here. Physical things are not made of the right stuff to build or make consciousness. There's a construction problem, is how uh, Dr. Rasmussen puts it. There's not the right building materials to make consciousness. But under theism, if the foundation of reality was something like mind, um, something analogous to mind, not matter, then we would have the building materials. We would expect God to make creatures that have some, you can't give what you don't have, right? So we would expect him to be able to, you know, infuse something like what he is into us. We call that the image of God as Christians. And so um, because of that, we think theism provides a better explanation for why we are the way that we are. And we think the foundation of reality is ultimately immaterial and that there is way more predictive success to that. We would expect consciousness. We would expect us to have a will and ability to choose if God was like that. Whereas on atheism, those things are really surprising. That's kind of just the basic contention of our whole talk, really. Mm. Yeah. All right. Application. Let's see. Okay. So, like, kind of what, going back to what we said, the main ideas. This gives us a good understanding of what we are as a human person. So it's important to understand who we are. Are we simply like, like the way Douglas Wilson puts it, bipedal carbon units, <laughs> is a funny way that he puts it. Are we simply just matter in motion, atoms banging around, no different from the chair next to you, that ultimately I think is what the materialist worldview reduces down to. You're nothing more than atoms bouncing around. Or is there something more to human beings that makes them different and unique? I think that this is great support for our faith. Um, and one of, the, one of the biggest areas in which like, modern atheist philosophers, um, materialist philosophers, recognize that this is a difficult spot in their worldview. This is a quote from Thomas Nagel, who's a really famous and well-respected um, materialist philosopher. He says, materialism is incomplete even as a theory of the physical world, since the physical world includes conscious organisms among its most striking occupants. So many atheists consider the origin of consciousness to be the most concerning aspect of their worldview. It's a pretty tough problem, and it's resulted in them adopting really absurd conclusions to explain it. I think this helps us interact with culture. You can kind of appeal to things with people like, don't you think you're more than that? How do you explain your thoughts? Don't you think you have free will? What are the, what are the ramifications of not believing you have free will? Um, I think that these are kind of, these can be intuitive arguments for people to get. And knowing the evidence for the soul, that we survive the death of the body. And we don't have to, I, I think that we don't have to simply say, um, we have a soul because the Bible says so. Although I think that that's true, and that is my ultimate authority, I think there's actually independent arguments for a soul that we can appeal to as well. 
That's what I'd say. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the that's everything we got. So we're gonna quick pray to end and also pray about the topic uh, as well. So uh, if you wanna fold your hands and bow your head, um, <clears throat> dear Lord, uh, we come before you in your throne room. We thank you for imprinting your image upon us. We are grateful for how you designed our being. You've given us a mind to comprehend you and be in relation with you. We ask that you help us reflect you with our minds thoughts, and actions. You are glorious and wonderful. Please give everyone a time of reflecting upon this topic in order, in order to change and conform us to your likeness. Amen. Mm. All right. The Q